the song says it all. It's all because of Jesus that we're here, that we're alive, that we can enter into God's presence and worship. And that's what we want to do this morning.
my favorite passages. Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. Some more blessings of redemption um, that we have in Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. And love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And skipping over to chapter 2. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sense of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. To my favorite words in the Bible, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. Let's sing about that.
what it's all about, right? Draw me near. And if you uh, have a relationship with Lord Jesus Christ, um, the way that you draw near is through a knowledge of Him, then only is going to come through the Word of God. So, with that in mind, take your Bibles and go to Second Peter chapter 3. Chapter 3! And all God's people said amen, right? Chapter 3. And if you're looking for chapter 4, it's not there. I need to ask you a question as we kind of get started this morning. And really the first two verses of chapter 3 are kind of foundational. As you're going to see to the rest of the chapter... I want to ask you a question. How do you live each day? So, I want you to think about that. How do you live each day? You know, I think, I think really a lot of folks live, especially the younger folks, I'm not picking on you, but I think if you have families, you're kind of in that mode of survival. 
You just want to survive the day, right? As you get older, you just hope the days last a little longer, <laughs> right? But I think there's this, this mind of survival during the week, and certainly a, the mind of busyness. And, and Peter's going to challenge his readers to look for the coming of the Lord. Um, how many of you would say you do that every day, right? <laughs> Probably not any of us. I don't know if any of us do. You might, I guess. But um, certainly there have to be days that go by that we're not necessarily thinking about the coming of the Lord, but... Three times in this chapter, Peter tells his audience to look for. Look for the coming of the Lord. And it's really um, later on in the chapter, and as I got to thinking about that, I think it's a challenge because as you, as you um, rewind chapters 1 and 2 and you think about what he was doing, in chapter 1 he's saying, hey, you need to grow, grow, grow in your relationship with Christ. And... He does that because he's a shepherd and he loves his sheep and he wants them to grow. Um, a true shepherd, and this is important, this is just a little interjection here. A true shepherd, which elders biblically are shepherds, they want to see people grow in their relationship to Christ. And so shepherds need to be watching the sheep. Kind of see what's going on, right? And and um, if you have one that's watching you, I'm watching you. Yeah, I watch you all the time. I mean, I'm an observer. It's just how I am. That's how God made me to be. I, I observe what's going on in people's lives, and, and I really try to process, you know, sometimes I'm able to kind of discern, okay, there's hurt going on over here, right? Um, there's a weariness over here. A good shepherd just like a shepherd cares for sheep, right, knows everything going on with the sheep and is intricately involved in the lives of the sheep. Um, and so in chapter 1, he says, grow, grow, grow. In chapter 2, he gives them a warning. And he's like, hey, look, there are folks after you, and they're called false teachers. And ultimately, this is what false teachers do. False teachers rob of the joy of relationship with Christ. They abuse grace, they don't stick to the text, they don't stand on the word of God. In fact, as I was thinking about it this week, false teachers are all about themselves and their agenda and your comfort and you staying in the seat so that you're comfortable and not talking about difficult issues like sin and such. When you come to chapter 3, chapter 3 is about the coming of the Lord and he wants them to know as a shepherd, as one who is guarding them and feeding them and protecting them, he wants them to know, hey, look, the Lord is coming. And how are you living in light of his coming? Um, do you know only 42% of evangelical Christians even believe he's coming? I'm like, when I read that, I was like, okay, that's a problem in itself. Right? We ought to be looking for and waiting for in anticipation of the return of our Savior. And that's exactly the mind of Peter as he's going through this chapter. So I want you to think about how you live your life. Now because um, the focus of the chapter is on the coming of Christ, I wanted to kind of give you a chart. I hope you can read this. You guys see that? Praise the Lord. Um, 
hey, that's a little thing works. All right, so we'll talk more about this as the weeks go, but I think it's important to just kind of introduce you to this because really the subject matter this morning, um, it does connect in the chapter, but we're really going to take off on a, a different subject where Peter starts. But um, you have here um, a time chart. And there are different viewpoints, and we'll get into that as we go along in chapter 3, uh, of the return of Christ. And um, there are some that just believe there'll be one return and, um, and then eternity. But if you're reading through Scripture, we at Grace teach that there is a distinction between Israel and the church. Yeah, the promises to Israel were made to Israel. Okay? And that the church did not start until Acts chapter 2. Just um, for your information, this, you just write this as a side note, look it up this afternoon. Did you know that before the church age, before um, Acts chapter 2, there are two uses of the term ecclesia? Do you know that? Um, two uses. One's in Matthew 16 and one's in Matthew 18. The one in Matthew 16, he says, I will build my church and the gates of what? Hell will not prevail against it. You go to chapter 18, and you have a very difficult subject called church discipline, which certainly the masses don't want to talk about. But if you have a wandering brother, right, one who's off the path, who is a believer in Christ, then you, they're off the path, they're in sin, um, you go and you confront them. A brother confronts another brother. And the purpose of that is to win the brother or the sister who's in sin, right? It's, it's not this attack. It's in love. You come beside them, and you love them, and you tell them the truth. That's hard to do. If they don't listen to you, you take two or three witnesses, and then if they don't listen to the two or three witnesses, you tell it to the church. That's certainly not popular in churches today. You don't find too many churches that practice church discipline. We do it grace. We want you walking in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you in fellowship with him, and... Um, and so we, we hold each other accountable. It's not that I just hold you accountable, you hold me accountable, right? That's part, part of it. And so those two uses, I thought, were kind of interesting. Well, so then you have the church age, and that's the time we live in now. And the next event on the Lord's calendar is the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians 15, um, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, okay? And then you have the seven-year tribulation period, and it's marked by two, three-and-a-half-year periods of time. The first three and a half years are marked by... We're going to have a test at the end of the service. First three and a half years are marked by... The ladies taking Revelation will pass the test. The, the first three and a half years are marked by this false peace. And the last three and a half years by judgment or war. Okay? At the end of that time, there will be the battle of Armageddon. And Christ will return to the earth. Now, this is the reason I mention that. There's two distinct times where Christ comes. The first time is the rapture, and he comes in the clouds. So th that's important to be distinctive in that. I've been in church a long time, and I've heard a lot, of, a lot of people talk about the return of Christ, and I think a lot of people are thinking more about here, his return to the earth, right, during this period of time. I don't think they're necessarily thinking about the rapture, but it's important to be distinctive in that. And so I wanted to mention that. We'll, we'll return to this chart, but, but Peter's going to talk about the day of the Lord. 
which is a period of time from the rapture through the end of the millennial period. And at the end of the millennial kingdom, it's interesting if you go to Revelation chapter 20, which the millennial kingdom is the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. If you go to the end of the millennial period, they said, the, the, the scriptures tell us there's going to be a rebellion. As the, and the number will be as the sands of the seashore. That's a whole lot of folks. Uh, but the battle won't last long. Right? Just like the battle of Armageddon, this one will be done. And you know the Lord won't even need our help. He's going to do all of it himself. Alright? So this is where Peter's going in the chapter. But uh, he begins, so I wanted to kind of give you that. He begins with addressing his love for the sheep. Alright, so I need you to, I know that's kind of a lot to absorb. Like I said, we'll have a test next week. But um, we want to see, first of all, in this text, in verse 1, that a shepherd, being Peter, he loves his sheep. Alright, he loves his sheep. Notice verse 1 of this chapter. He says, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. All right? And he's gonna, we're going to talk about next week what he's reminding them of, and it has everything to do with what we're, we just went through uh, in relationship to the coming of Christ and the prophecies. Did you know, and I meant to mention this, did you know that the second coming of Christ is mentioned seven or eight times more in Scripture than the first coming? Christ. That's, that's quite a lot. So um, there's no point in denying it. He's coming. You can't stop it. We're, we are on God's calendar. He's not on ours. Um, so he uses this term beloved. And I think I wanted to do some kind of investigation this morning with you just for a few moments on this term beloved. Now this term refers in context to the readers who were dear to Peter's heart. Right? Because a shepherd loves the sheep. Remember, that's the context of Second Peter. He loves his sheep. He's saying, grow, grow, grow. He's warning them about those who would rob them of joy, and that's these false teachers. And then he comes to chapter 3, and he says, hey, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming. And he says, this now, beloved, is the second letter I am writing to you. Um, that term, beloved, refers in context to the readers who were dear to Peter's heart. The word describes a love that is seeking the best for others. Illustration. I have three children and three grandchildren. I've already done pretty much all I can do for the children. Let's talk about the grandchildren. All right? The only thing I can do for the children now is you know how they are. When they, they do return home, they, they, somehow they do like that. They, they don't, hey, Dad, how you doing? It's, hey, Dad, how you doing? Right? But the best thing that I can do and this is the idea of the word, the best thing that I can do for my three granddaughters is love them, right, actively, right, seeking their best. And if I'm doing that, then I'm telling them, and this is the idea, and this is Peter's heart as he's sharing with these folks he loves, I'm telling my three grandchildren about the love of the Lord. I'm telling them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Because I love them so much. So that's the illustration. You love your children so much, I hope, that you discipline them. They need someone to guide them. Just like a shepherd guides sheep. Right? Fathers, that's your responsibility. Isn't that wonderful? Say praise the Lord. That's your responsibility. That's what the Bible says. So, it's hard at times to be honest with folks. It is. We all face that. 
But hey, we need to be honest with people. They're not just going to heaven because their name is John or because their name is Sally or because they went to church or because they gave something at church. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Joe read it. We, we believe that because it's what the Bible says. So that's the, 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 the meaning of the term beloved in this context. If you go back and you study a little bit, the first usage of this term, uh, beloved, in the Septuagint, is found in Genesis 22. I thought that was interesting. The Septuagint, just so you, you'll know, there's a lot of tests today for you. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Okay? So it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. If you go back and you look at that, the first time this term is used is in Genesis 22. And you know what, guys know what that context is, right? Um, Abraham and Isaac. And the Lord said, take... Now, this is an incredible statement. You know, have you ever tried to put yourself in the context of an Old Testament or New Testament person? You're like, man, how'd you do that? Right? Um, look what it says. He said, God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. There's the term. Whom you love. Who, who you have an affection for. Right? Who's dear to you. Who you sincerely love. That's the idea. Take him. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And what does Abraham do? He obeys. Now we look at that and we go, man, I don't know. Right? I mean, come on. But he does. And if you read through the story, you understand Abraham not only has the faith to take him, but he believes that the Lord's going to provide what? The sacrifice. And it not be Isaac. That's great faith. <laughs> I mean, and that's pretty good faith, isn't it? You're like, wow. So that's the first usage of the term love or in the Septuagint is Genesis chapter 22. I thought you guys might be interested in that. Verse 2. All right? I wanted to remind you of some um, of the other uses, usages in uh, relationship to the term beloved. The father's description of the son. There's several examples of that. Um, the same word is used uh, in these texts as it is used in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. You remember at the baptism of the Lord Jesus, it says, And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him, and behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my what? Beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, same term. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, one who is dear to me, right? Of, uh, which, of which whom I am well pleased. And then it says, I love that last part, hear him. Um, and so that's, some usage as it relates to the father and talking about the son. Then there are some other usages of the term that's related to beloved, and there's a distinction because the term beloved um, is one term in the Greek, but it's related to the term agapao, which like agape. You, agape is the noun, agapao is the verb, 
right? And so you guys, I know you've heard that term before, but agapao is the verb. It's the action part of love. And I wanted to focus in on that and, and just remind us of something that we know, but something that we need to practice, right? Um, remember what Jesus said to his disciples, and this commandment was to his disciples in John 13. That should say 34 and 35. I'm sorry. Uh, it says, a new commandment I give to you. Jesus talking now here in the context to his disciples that you love one another. That's the command, all right? That you agapao one another, even as I have agapagoed you. <laughs> all right, there's the, that's the benchmark. So he gives them the command, and the command to his disciples is love one another. And then the benchmark there, the measurement is, as I have loved you, whoa. What's a husband to do? In relationship to his wife. The Bible says he is to what? Ugh. Same word. To love his wife as what? Christ loved the church. See, the benchmark's high. What would we expect? He's God. The benchmark is high. You say, yeah, Thad, but you don't know my wife. You know what? That's no excuse. Right? I mean, the, the, the command is there. And so the command for the disciples to love one another is there. And then it's pretty weighty. Look, verse 35. By this all men will know. Wow, that's really heavy. By what all men will know? By loving one another, right? It's that love for one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you belong to me, that you follow me. That was a disciple, one who follows another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another, that's a distinctive phrase there. By the way, the term agapao, it's an action phrase. It's not just this, hey, I love you. I mean, I could walk in every day and say, Teresa, hey, I love you, Teresa. Hey, I love you, Teresa. I mean, one of these days, she's going to say, hey, show me you love me. Right? Demonstrate that. That's the idea of the term. And so the word love there and the instruction that the Lord gives his disciples is really weighty. And I want to tell you something. We can't love our wives as Christ loved the church, nor can we love one another as the Lord expects without the help of the Holy Spirit. Because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of days I'm ugly. Right? You might say, well, that, that's every day. I'm talking about like, just, just living life. Right? And I, I, need, I need folks to love on me. How about you? Right? I need that from people. I mean, that's what the Lord designed in the body of Christ, that we would love one another. You're going to see that in these other texts. And so we have the weighty instruction of our Lord to his disciples. Remember what Paul told the Thessalonian church? I know you do, right? He says in chapter uh, 4, verses 9 and 10, notice what he says about this term love. Now, as to the love of the brethren. Now, remember, listen. Peter's loving these guys. I don't want you to lose sight of where we are. Peter's loving these guys. How is he demonstrating that? I'm going to give you that at the end. But he loves them. That's what a shepherd does. Well, in Thessalonians, Paul says, Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by who? What's that next statement taught by God to love one another I like what he says here he's commending them for indeed you practice it you're doing it that's good 
right? I mean, you're like, if you're standing there, you're going, hey, man, good job, guys. You're doing it. But notice what he says. For indeed, you practice it toward all the brethren in Macedonia. And you'd think, all right, Paul's going to stop there. You know, he's commending them, but he doesn't do that. What does he say? But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. What? I thought I was doing good. Paul says, excel still more. Excel still more. And one of the temptations in the Christian life is to be stagnant and not move forward. See, because love of the brethren, I got to paint this picture for you. Love of the brethren, guys, is not pick and choose. You get what I'm saying? Right? It's not pick and choose. Jesus told his disciples, love one another. All of you. Yeah, but Lord, Peter, even Peter, right? This is hard stuff, but it's good stuff. How many of you love being loved by brothers and sisters in Christ? You love that? I love that. I love when that's demonstrated. The focus of the passage, or the, yeah, the verses, are really on this little phrase, Paul's instruction, excel still more. The idea of the term excel means over and above. It means overflowing or abounding. Like just, it's this picture of this glass that's filled to overflowing, right? You know, it's going to that sink. You ever done that? And you, you stick a glass under the sink and somebody gets your attention for just a second. That's all it takes. And the next thing you know, the water's on you. You just hope it's not hot water, right? And that's, that's the idea. It's overflowing. There's a great example of this in Matthew chapter 14. And this, this is worth taking your time. Go back there. Matthew 14. It's not even close to lunch yet. Matthew 14. Although you might get hungry after this passage. Matthew 14. Here it is. This is the word picture of overflowing. And man, this is, an awesome, this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Um, as it relates to the provision of the Lord. It's a great reminder to us. Matthew, I'm using Matthew's gospel here for this. Matthew 13, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, that was just 5,000 men. There's women and children, right? And, and there's only what? After discovery, Jesus gives the disciples an assignment, and after discovery, they come back and say, well, we got what? Five loaves and two fish. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do with that? Well, notice what it says, verse 13 of chapter 14. Now, when Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. And when the multitudes heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he'd come out, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And it was, when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, this place, the place is desolate and the time has already passed, so send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Imagine what that must have sounded, I mean, right? And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And ordering the multitudes, verse 19, to recline on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and, break, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to, his, to the disciples, 
and the disciples gave to the multitudes, and they all ate. Most theologians believe there was anywhere from 15 to 20,000 gathered here. Right? And you got five loaves and two fish. And the Bible says, he gave it to them and the disciples gave to the multitudes. And here it is. And they all ate and they were satisfied. Another idea there is full. Right? You like to eat till you're full. So they ate to the full. They were satisfied. And here it is. And they picked up what was overflowing is the idea. Abounding. There's not just these 12 baskets and just a little bit at the bottom. They're overflowing. Listen to me. This is so beautiful. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that loves us. His love for us is overflowing. I like that. And this is the word picture here. So when Paul tells these Thessalonian believers to excel still more, the idea is abounding, overflowing, just let it ooze out of you. You say, yeah, but, but, but you don't know how hard it is to love some believers in the Lord. Yes, I do. And so do you. But there's no excuse. We do it. Why? The Lord tells us to. Well, there's another example of this term. Remember the whole time, this is, this is the kind of love that, that Peter's demonstrating to these believers. You remember Peter's first, or words in his first letter to the disciples, or to this church, excuse me? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, look what he says. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, man, you're going to love this, these, these, this phrase, Fervently love one another from the heart. Now here it is. For you have been born again. Underline that phrase. For you have been born again. You are different. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Where before your mind was not on loving. Now it is on loving. Why? Because you have the mind of Christ. For you have been born again, he says. So here Peter's instruction to fervently love means to strive with all of one's energy. Um, the picture here is of a runner who is visibly giving evidence of maximum effort. When I was in high school, I ran track. There were times where I visibly gave everything that I had. Do you know there were times I didn't give everything that I had? There is one Olympic game that just sticks out in my mind and it took me a long time to find this illustration, to illustrate what this means, right? To visibly give evidence of maximum effort, that's the idea. Some of you guys weren't even born. 1996, in Atlanta. You remember the Olympics were in Atlanta, 1996. And there was a runner there that I really liked. This dude could run. You remember Michael Johnson? The man with the golden shoes. You remember that? I want a pair of those golden shoes been awesome to have but Michael Johnson visibly demonstrates this exertion he's putting everything he has into it that's the idea of this term so I've got this little video clip I want you to watch Ron if you could push that play watch this all right
right there. Look at that. Now that's the word. I mean, the dude is exerting everything he's got. I was in lane eight, right? I couldn't keep up with him. I, could, I couldn't even be his water boy. I mean, listen, this guy, look at everything he's got. That's the picture of the term. You know what it made me do when I thought about that? I was like, man, Paul, why do you paint these pictures like this? Why do Peter, why do you paint these pictures like this? You know why they paint these pictures? Because as believers, we need to be attentive to the issue of loving one another. That's why. Because what God says is serious. He wants us to love fervently one another. All right, Ron, you can go back to the PowerPoint, unless you want to watch the end of the race. By the way, just so you know, um, he won. <laughs> I was thinking about, this is a little side story. You remember Secretariat? So several years ago, we went to see Secretariat. I'm not going to tell you with who, but went to see, and one of the people that we love that was sitting there um, said, I hope he wins. He did win, triple crown guy, right? Um, the picture there of Michael Johnson and the exertion of energy is the idea of this loving one another fervently from the heart. Um, I like what Kenneth Weiss says in summarizing um, this term as, as he relates it to Peter loving these brothers. He says, the verb for the uh, word Peter uses to describe his love for these believers is awakened by a sense of value in an object which causes one to prize it. Huh. Let's read that again. The verb for the word Peter uses to describe his love for these believers is awakened by a sense of value in an object which causes one to prize it. It's this, guys. I value my brothers and sisters in Christ. And because I've been instructed by the Lord to love them, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to actively do that. That's the idea of the term. And so, I, you know, when you're going through a chapter, it's kind of easy to bypass maybe some terms, but this is one I just couldn't bypass. Because I really believe every once in a while the church needs a reminder of this, that we need to agapao one another. We need to love one another actively. I want to give you three things to take home with you this morning. All right, three things. First one is this. Peter's love for them is expressed in his writings. You say, hold on, what are you talking about? Um, not everything we write is easy to write. Right? When you go back and you look at 2 Peter, what he wrote in chapter 1 was instruction. Grow, grow, grow. Right? But chapter 2, man, it took us a long time to get through that chapter. That's hard stuff. Right? So Peter expresses to them his love by writing to them. In fact, note in the text it says this is the second letter in which he is uh, writing to them, all right? Um, the second thing that I think we need to take home from this this morning is Peter addresses them as beloved four times in this chapter. You know, it's not the only time he uses it. I probably wouldn't have necessarily stopped there if it would have just been one. I don't know. I might have. But boy, it really got my attention when it's four times. Look at this. Beloved, 
verse 1. This is now beloved. Then you go down into verse... Um, hold on a second, I wrote that down. Verse 8. Go down to verse 8. It says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice. Beloved. Then you go down to verse 14. Therefore, beloved. And there's that phrase there. Since you look for these things, the promise of his coming. Um, then you go down to, to verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. So four times in one chapter, he uses that phrase, beloved. And then um, the third takeaway for us this morning is that Peter not only instructs them to love, but fleshes out his love for them. You know, it's one thing for a shepherd to say, hey, you know what, guys, this is what the Bible says, and you need to do it. Right? That might even be irritating to you if you're sitting in the audience. And I stand up here and say, you need to do this, and you need to do that. Well, I need to do it. Right? And that's exactly what's going on here. Peter not only instructs them to love, but fleshes out his love for them. You say, where did you get that? Well, you remember back in chapter 1? Look real quickly in chapter 1. I want to show you this. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. He not only expresses his love for them, but he instructed them. You remember back in verse uh, 5 of chapter 1? It says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence... In your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. So Peter's giving them a list of this is what you need to do. And in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, Christian love. So he's saying, hey, this is what you need to do. And he comes to chapter 3, and he expresses his love for them four times. So it's not just that he's saying, do this, do this, do this, but he's practicing that himself. You know, when you think about love, probably one of the chapters that comes to your mind, and we'll close with this, I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians 13. I want to remind us of what love looks like. And now this is in the context of spiritual gifts. But I think this is a great evaluator, great reminder uh, for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In the context of 12 through 14, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And when you get to, to chapter 13, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor... If I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And then he defines it for us. He says, this is what it is in the context of the body of Christ. Love is patient. Ugh. Love is kind. And by the way, the idea there is love is kind regardless of the, the person is kind to you or not. <laughs> Ugh. Love is not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not... It's not that way. It's, it's not that I'm jealous of this person, right? Or that person. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. It doesn't stand up here, in other words. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. When I was growing up, you know, I had um, guys that I kind of looked to uh, for my Christian growth, not just within my family. There's one guy that he was about, he's about 10, he may be about 10 years older than me. I have to be careful because we record all this, and he lives in Louisiana. You might be hearing me sometime, but um, his name's Gerald. And Gerald and I used to, I know this is going to be hard for you guys to visualize that know me, but we went camping together some. He put up the tent. But we went camping together some. And um, Gerald was always expressing his love to me. He's always, and this is how it went. That, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Probably 15 to 20 years ago by, and I haven't heard from Gerald, and I haven't called him either. And one day I'm sitting at my office, and my cell phone rings. And I don't recognize the number. And you know how that goes, right? You're like, hmm. But I recognize the area code. And I'm like, okay, this is somebody from Louisiana. So I pick up the phone and I answer it. And I said, hello? He says, Thad Blunt. That's how he always talked, Thad Blunt. Like, and sometimes, you know, you're able to recognize voices right away. And some, but he has a distinctive voice. He said, Thad Blunt. I said, Gerald Merchant. He said, the Lord wanted me to call you today. And he wanted me to pray with you. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know this. I love you. And I want to pray for you. That's after 15 to 20 years. I hadn't heard a word. And I hadn't called him. And I'm like, now listen. That's how God works. Right? That's how God works. If we're in tune, we're, we're obedient. And the Lord puts someone on our mind, we obey. And you know what? During that particular time that he called, there were a couple things going on in my life that were kind of difficult. And it didn't take me 15 minutes to say, hey, Gerald, let me think about this for a second. I said, Gerald, I need you to pray for me in this way and in this way. And he said, let's do it. Guys, that's the idea. That's the picture of this word beloved. That's the picture of the word love in the body of Christ. We exert everything we have so that those around us know that we belong to Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Um, there's so much that we need to consider and we need to take in and we need to really dwell on and think on. And, and, um, and Lord, there may even be points of confession for us that we haven't been loving others in the body like we need to. and um, Lord, from what you told your disciples, people around us are going to know we belong to you by our love for each other. And there are always opportunities, Lord. There are always opportunities. Peter understood that as a shepherd. And I pray that we would understand that whether we be elder, or whether we be a member of the body, 
Lord, that we would demonstrate to others that we belong to you by actively, actively serving others. Because that's the idea of the term. It's action. It's a volitional decision that I make to do that. To do that hard thing at times. And to love as you love. That's the measurement. That's the benchmark. Lord, I pray that your spirit would remind us. And I'm thankful so much for the example that we have in the life of Peter, in the life of Paul, in the life of John. We didn't even get to 1 John. The life of these that belong to you, that demonstrated this love. And it wasn't easy to do. But Lord, we can do this with the help of your spirit. And so I pray that, that we would take that challenge and that we would have a view of others, right, in the body of Christ like you see them. And that we would ask for your help on a daily basis so that we might love those that are around us so that the world will see, hey, there's something weird about those people. And it's the love of Jesus Christ. I pray they would see that. I pray all this in the name of the one and only God. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close with this last song. The song in the chorus talks about surrender to the Lord. It talks about us just proclaiming to Jesus, all I am is yours. And, you know, I've often thought, what if, what if the church, what if we lived our day-to-day, moment-by-moment with that attitude? What would we look like? What would the church look like? What impact would it make in the world? So I ask that we not drive by this morning, but we just stop and park and just ask the Lord what it is that we need to change in our lives. What are we not surrendering? What are we not saying? All I am is yours alone.
I like that line in awe of the one who gave it all. It reminds me of the verse that we teach our kids when they're really young. And, and I think, unfortunately, I think sometimes believers grow weary of verses. But how do you grow weary of verses? For God so loved the world that he gave. Man, what a great illustration. That's, that's the word we talked about today. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I hope you know the love of God. I hope, hope you know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning. And that you're living for him as Lord. We need help to love one another. May the Spirit of God help us to do that. Let's pray. Lord, um, we need your help. We're all different. We all look different. We sound different. Um, we're just all unique creatures. And, um, Lord, we're not always easy to love. Primarily because we're into ourselves a lot. Probably. And so, um, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to um, embrace the instruction you gave to your disciples to love one another and that we would excel still more <laughs> to overflowing and that we would fervently love one another and that that would be just with everything that we have that comes from you. Because we can't do it in and of ourselves. And so we thank you in closing today that we have the helper, the Holy Spirit of God that can help us do those things. Can I ask you, Lord, today that you'd put on our minds the people that are hard to love. That you might present us opportunities even today or this week to demonstrate love toward them. And all these things I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.